0: The Yow into New York, Yow into New York, Yow into New York.
1: And welcome to Crash Course Autographs. Today, we welcome the long-awaited appearance of nerdcore rapper and Philadelphia native Adam Warrock. Covering a broad scope of nerdy subjects, Adam Warrock is also known for his sincere raps about life in all respects. His latest release, Gifted Student, was produced by previous guest to the podcast, Michael Kill, and was released on January 22, 2015. Michael Kill has also worked with Warrock on other projects, such as the Browncoats Mixtape. Matt and Warrock discuss this working relationship along with Warrock's addiction to Magic the Gathering, an addiction communally shared by other former Nerdcore guests. And they touch upon the support of the Nerdcore community in general, between both fans and artists alike. Finally, we hear them discuss Warrock's participation in the annual 24-hour Rapathon, an event for charity which, in its latest run, Adam contributed over 18 songs, written, produced, and released in just 24 hours. So on that note, Here's Matt and the prolific Adam Warrock. Hello, is this Adam?
2: Yes, hey, is this Matt?
1: Yes, it is. Hey,
3: man, how are you?
2: I'm pretty good, how are you?
3: Good, I'm glad we were able to get this chat, um, and I'm happy to have you as a guest on my podcast. Thank you for taking the yeah, time.
2: Yeah,
3: um, The first and most important question I have to ask, because I've already spoken to both Michael Kill and Tribe One, who are featured on your Magic the Gathering EP, is... Are you as obsessed with magic as they both claim you are
2: <laughs> did they what, what did they say did they claim that
3: so the, um, their claim was that they were the old school players who played for a while and they kind of introduced it to you recently and now you go to every draft, you pick up every set um, you're, you text them about new cards coming out are these yes. these are all true accusations
2: these are all true it's It's started when me and Tribe were on tour and we just needed something. To, like It's funny, cause I guess it's because I went to PAX last year
0: mm-hmm.
2: and um, I performed there and while I was there I played it for the first time and then when we went on tour, me and Tribe were on tour for like three straight months and I was like, you should play this because I knew he used to play and, and grew into this horrible obsession that still lasts to this day and uh, I don't know, it's like I, I think I used to like play a lot of competitive games some sports and then I also have a probably have a bad gambling addiction, so I think all of that together leads to an enjoyment of it beyond a normal <laughs> normal human humanity basis or whatever. But um we all enjoy it in different ways. It's really funny to watch us play because it's like three couldn't be more polar opposite people that I play it, but we all play like every
3: once in a while. Yeah, I was telling Tribe when he was in town for Schaefer's birthday this year that the last time the three of you were in town in New York, um, to play a show with Schaefer. Um I didn't know you guys played Magic at the time and then I found that EP after and I was like, damn it, I could have brought my cards to the show. So, yeah. The next time the three of you roll through, I've already put a standing offer to both of them, and you're welcome to come to me, Mikasa in Brooklyn, and we'll play some Magic the Gathering.
0: Sure.
3: <laughs> um, I want to chat a little bit about, of course, the brand new EP, Gifted Student, that just came out at the end of uh, January. Um, this one was produced by Michael Kill. I know you guys have worked together plenty of times before. Um, where did the decision to have him produce this record come from? Is it just something that just kind of naturally happened, or was it an idea that you had had?
2: Um, we, we had meant to do an album together for a really long time, and it just it kept getting pushed back, um, because he was either busy, or I was busy already, with somebody else started working, or things just kind of didn't work out. And so we kind of set, like, set out to make an album together, because it's funny, when you look back, uh, we've done so much stuff on the website, but we've never actually made, like, an official album or EP together, so this is the first time we got to do that. And um, we started working on it probably at the end of 2014, and it was just at a time when both of us were to, had kind of wound down our year from like doing a lot of shows and making a lot of music. So um, I definitely always wanted to do it with him. He and I, we worked together very well because we both very quick, and he is very, he is as obsessively neurotic <laughs> about wanting the song to sound the way you hear it in your head. So I know he won't mind, like, me telling him to make, like, one thing a little softer or one thing a little bit louder. I know that I've worked with producers before. and I know stories of other producers who are like, they don't, they don't have that crazy, like, neurotic brain where they just, like, can't it if something new is a little bit off, the he and I are the same way. So it, it works out well, and I think that UT is probably the best thing, it's the best wrapping that I've done in a really long time, so I'm really proud of it. I
3: I've really enjoyed it. I really like it a lot. Um, and I've been looking forward to something uh, uh, straight up release since, since um, Middle of Nowhere, which I was obsessed with when it first came out. Um, it was probably the record that got me into your stuff, and then I doubled back and got everything else and went through your whole YouTube catalog. There's a lot of music to find when someone first gets into your stuff, the whole free releases and um, the 24-hour rapathons, which let me tell you, like this year's, I I was home and I watched because I was home that day. So I watched as you released and kept refreshing Tumblr. It's incredible to me how you can just release song after song and that they all sound more or less polished, you know, some of them might have a little quirk here or there, but Like, even, I think there was a chorus song that you released that you said that there was a quirk, and I listened to it, and I was like, what is he talking about? It sounds great. I don't understand.
2: (laughs) I mean, yeah, it's it's the benefit of being able to do music fast, and I think it comes from the fact that, like, you know, songwriting is, is very much, like, a muscle, it's a skill that, because I do it so often when I really sit down and just want to force myself to write something, which, you know, won't always make the greatest song, but it does the trick if you're doing, like, a rap song. Um, It just kind of comes to the point where, like, you've you just learned how to, you've learned how to make, like, it, to get the ball started. And once it starts rolling, you kind of just keep going until you finish. And the only thing that stops you is, like, laziness or fatigue. Like, it's not the, like, block of not being able to write anything or come up with anything to write.
3: And so how did the 24 hour rapathon come to be? Because I know this isn't the first year you've done it.
2: No. The first time I did it, um, I had gone to St. Louis, and uh, the car where all my stuff was in had gotten broken into. And so, like, my laptop and some equipment was totally stolen. Uh, uh. Um, and it happened very soon after my annual mission drive. My donation drive is kind of how the site keeps going, and once a year in June, um, I release like a rewards package, and people donate for all the free music that's been out. And so, like, um, I felt bad because I felt bad doing like a fundraiser so soon after donation drive, and I always had the weird idea to kind of do like 24-hour rapathon in my head, So I never had a reason to. And so that seems like a goodness where where at, basically like. I was going to raise enough money um, to replace the laptop that got stolen. And then uh, anything over that, I would uh, donate to charity. So it became like a little, a nice, like, goodwill kind of thing to do. Right. And it replaced my laptop, which was the most important thing, I guess.
0: Sure.
3: That's awesome. Um, And uh, so I want to dive back a little bit further to your uh, rapping origins. Were you always interested in getting into rap as a kid or did that kind of spawn from something else? Where's your music roots from?
2: Uh, I mean, I played a lot of guitar when I was younger and I listened to a lot of like alternative stuff. I mean, I'm a child of the nineties,
0: so, uh,
2: but like I, I listened to a lot of hip hop when I was in high school and I got into it really big then. And I think, um, it just started because when I went to college, I went to Ohio State University, which was in Columbus, Ohio, and Columbus just happened to have like a really good um, independent hip-hop team. Like uh, it was back when a lot of the like rhyme players and def jux people were there, and RGDQ was starting out there. Mm-hmm. So, like it was a, a place where like a lot of shows were happening, and a lot of like freestyle contests and battle contests were happening, and it was like for a lot of people. Spoken word was happening, too. And so it was during that time that I kind of started, like, you know, I had been, like, obsessed with rap in high school. When I was in college, I started doing, like, you know, spoken word, and I started doing, like, freestyle battles and things like that. And then, you know, I had a computer and started learning how to self-record in my bedroom and just loading in instrumentals that I just found from wherever and made music then. And I made music all the time. I started performing like wherever I could. But then at the end of college, I just kind of stopped doing it. In grad school, and then kind of put it away for a while until I came back and started doing stuff like that in Warrock. And so, like, I don't think I really necessarily wanted to make music. It's just kind of, it just kind of weirdly happened, and then had this weird second chance for me to do it too.
3: That's awesome. Yeah, I and I find that just listening to your entire discography, there's a lot, especially in the middle of nowhere, there's a lot of things to connect with besides just the nerdy things you rap about, which there is an abundance of. There's a lot of personal stuff on that, that last full record that I think really connects with a lot of people. It's what connected with me, you know, that, that um, made people be able to understand kind of where you're coming from as a rapper, but also just understand you as a person, which is always, I like to hear on a record because I like to connect emotionally with an artist. So yeah,
2: I mean, it came to the fact that like, you know, a lot of people that I work with, people like Schaefer and Kill and Tribe, Mega Rand, Dual Core, I can keep naming people, (laughs) they all grew up as like really huge rap fans. And like, there's some people who make like nerdcore and some people who make like nerdy music who, you know, they didn't necessarily grow up listening to as much hip hop as we did, which is fine because they make different kind of music as we do. But like, we all grew up at a time where... You know, a lot of the indie hip-hop was very, like, personal, it political. It was, like, conscious, like, very much about, like, knowing the person. And that was, like, kind of the start of that, that era of, like, people like Sage Francis and the atmosphere and things like that. Yeah. That's people that we all kind of take cues from. And uh, I think that shows up in our work. A lot because we all at a certain point can't keep, we, we run out of things to say about, you know, Spider Man or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Spider Man.
3: You can only rap about nerdy things for so long before you go, what the hell else do I have to say? I mean, what I like also <laughs> about following your career and stuff you've done is like, so I've been a long time Doctor Who fan. And so when your Doctor Who EP <laughs> came out, I was stoked. But after listening to it, I was like, oh, he wasn't always in doc- into Doctor Who. It sounded like, it was a thing that you kind of came to fairly recently with the Matt Smith yeah. years and then went back to. So it's kind of cool to hear from an artist's perspective what it's like to get into a fandom and then rap about it.
2: Yeah, it is. And it's it's the thing where, like, you know, nowadays there's so much stuff to listen to, so much stuff to like get into that. It used to be a thing where, like, you could you could kind of hold it against someone if they weren't into something. And nowadays it's, like, totally understandable that somebody isn't into the thing you're really into there's just so much stuff. So it becomes more about talking about what it's like to get into something and like what that journey and that path is like. And I it's really interesting because like, you know, in the in the past, people would have been like, you're just stepping into this fandom like where you're not familiar and like it's like you're not part of it. And now it's like very welcoming. Yeah. It's kind of this thing where like, you know, just, I'm like pointing, I'm pointing a spotlight at different things and kind of just like exploring it. And sometimes I get really into, like, I mean, And sometimes I like watch, like, you know, a couple seasons of something and I really like it, but then it's on to the next thing because you can't, it doesn't connect with you the same way that it does to everyone else. Um, that's like intensely into that fandom. So, like, it's, it's a weird time to kind of be working in pop culture but there's just so much stuff and yet no one truly gets mad at you for trying it out. I think it's a lot more um, inclusive than it used to be, even though there's still like a ton of problems with negativity and stuff like that. But like, sure. Definitely. The one thing I've seen is like a lot of fandoms have definitely welcomed me into it as long as I like, you know, do my homework and, and try.
3: Right. Exactly. Um, and I think that's great. Is I mean that's a core component I think of the Nerdcore community in as a whole too is you know, people for the most part are pretty welcoming. Like if you get into a thing and you wanna share that thing with someone else, people are usually pretty jazzed about it.
2: Yeah, definitely. And uh that's the one thing that you know, it's it's the one thing that people like me and Kill try to do for like Nerdcore fans is that, you know, they've welcomed us into their community making the music that they listen to we like to welcome them into making music that sounds like the stuff we can listen to. And I, I know for a fact there are a couple of people who were listeners of us and we've become friends with, and we've exposed them to, like, a ton of, like, older raps, and they, in a lot of ways, you know, move on from nerdcore and start listening to, like, indie rap and, and stuff in, like, the early 2000s because they really enjoy that, too. And that's that's really good that we can kind of show people that, not all rest is the way you think it is, you
3: know? Sure, of course. Well, it's cool. Also, you guys made it very approachable and you yourselves are also very approachable at shows and online. I mean, I've curated a lot of friendships with nerdcore rappers just through the few times they've come to town and then chatting with them online. And it's it's kind of awesome. That You guys are so open to your fans. And I mean, like, I did an interview with Sulfur a couple of weeks back, and throughout the interview, I discovered that he has a 3DS, which I have, and he has Steam, which I have. So the minute we got off the phone, he texted me his handles on both. He's like, I better see you around. And it's just awesome that, that it's a community that really cares about its fans and, and everything even outside the music, too.
2: Yeah, and I mean, that's, that is something that we take cues from people that we grew up like listening to like there's a story like i remember i think it was brother ali from Run Series. i was at by Southwest on the sort of panel like watching it and he's telling a story about how like atmosphere went on tour with i think it was like tri clock best mm-hmm. or somebody big in rap back in the day and after every show like you know he would walk off the stage and go and sit at his merch table and like meet people and like back then like rappers wouldn't, they wouldn't do that. They would like do the show and then they would just go in the dressing room and they would just like, somebody would else somebody else would sell their merch. like right. CDs. And like, he made, he made so much money, so much more money than the headliner that by the end of the tour, the headliners were out at their merch table. And it's because <laughs> like, they they have to learn from indie guys, the fact that like most people come to a show, they don't they don't want to just go buy something like at a vendor they want to like shake your hand and they want to talk and that's kind of like a big thing to us cuz like i we all went to shows when we were younger and met all our heroes and got to talk to them and became friends with a couple of them that we still are to this day and it's something that we i think take to heart and try to try to always remember
3: yeah, it definitely comes through I guess, the way you guys are at your shows. I mean, the first time I ever met, Sh- met Schaefer, who I'm now pretty good friends with, was just at his merch table at a MC Frontalot Show. He was just hanging out. Yeah. He was like, I like your music. I have this website. I don't really do much with it, but I want to do an interview. And he was one of the first handwritten interviews I ever did, where I recorded a yeah. conversation for an hour and a half and then had to transcribe the fucking thing because I didn't yeah. know how to do a podcast yet. Um, but... but it, it's great to have a community that, that supports itself and those who support it so well. I think that makes for great art uh, as a whole. Yeah. Um, my next question is about, so you do tons and tons of free content online based on movies, video games, TV shows. Um, has there ever been a fandom you've come to where you were dead set to write something and it just didn't work for whatever uh, reason?
2: My Little Pony.
3: (laughs) Really? You've been trying to do a a brony song for a while and it just can't come out?
2: I wasn't even trying. There was like a guy, there was like a couple guys who were like big bronies and they emailed me all this stuff and like just like, here's like a comic, here's all these comics. Yeah. And like, here's all this information. And I tried and I don't even think it's bad or anything. I like watched the cartoon. I was just like, I'm just, I don't, I don't want to watch any anymore. Not because I'm like this is awful, just because I was like this just doesn't interest me. To say, and it's funny because like, I'm trying to think of what else. I, I sat down and watched Star Trek: The Next Generation, and I watched like four seasons of it, and I was like I'm gonna make a mixtape, and I'm, like, and I'm gonna make an EP, and then I just never happened. Just that's not because I didn't like it. I loved it. It's just because. I just didn't have time and can't figure out how to make more than, like, a song about it.
3: Right. Well, um, I mean, you did, at least in the Rapathon, have the one song, uh, John Luke vs. John Frakes. That's, which, that's, which where,
2: that's where that song kind of came from, was, like, these loose ideas I had in my head, trying to make a DP. So it's hard, right? Because at a certain yeah. point, you've made, I've done that so many times. It's like, it almost becomes like, okay, i got to make a song about it. Riker, you know, and a song about this, like a song about this episode. It's like this roadmap that's already kind of laid out, and then you're kind of like that this list of things to do, and you're just like, oh man, I don't want to write all this. Like now, I want to go play video games or something, <laughs> and it just never comes out, It just never comes around. So, sure. and I mean, it's just the thing because like I grew up, I grew up a Star Wars kid, and like sure. I never really watched Star Trek at all. I never, I never knew anybody that watched Star Trek until I was in college. Like none of my friends when I was growing up, my nerdy friends were into it, and um, I just never gave it a chance, and so I finally sat down to watch it this year, or last year, I guess, and um, and I just never got around to writing one. I know it would be a lot of fun. I would love to write a song about data and stuff <laughs> like that, but I just never got around to it. But my, my little funny is definitely, there's like definitely a couple of people who always email me, and they're just like, you should make a song about friendship is magic. And I was like, I'm always like, I tried. It's not for me.
0: And
2: I don't think it's going to, I don't think it's going to happen. You should go listen to the Swagbergs, uh, Brony song again, because there is a nerdcore song about pronies That's huge.
3: Yeah, that is true. Um, well, if you're still looking for inspiration for Next Generation EP in the future, I do know that the actor who played Data actually did some music CDs called Old Gold Eyes. <laughs>
2: did and he like, is it like electronic music or did he sing? Not he right.
3: sings. I think it's like, it, it's spoofing kind of the Frank Sinatra style kind of croony stuff from what I've heard. So maybe there's some inspiration there if you want to check it out. Maybe some beats to sample or something. I don't know. For the shot. We'll see. I'll try <laughs> <laughs> um, and and going back to the the free stuff that you put out, uh, I think one of my favorite moments about the twenty four hour rapathon, and it came pretty early, is that you asked about something that I'm surprised I haven't really heard a nerdcore rapper rap about yet, and that was Pa Rapper the rapper, which was one oh, of yeah. those games <laughs> for PlayStation that I had, and it was I had it I think even before I was even super into rap. I liked rap in high school, but I hadn't gotten super into it until way after that game came out. But uh. It was very funny to hear that and go, oh man, I remember this song from that game. Awesome. Because, you know, you yeah, didn't the use the song. exact lyric, but, you know, it was pretty the cool song to hear it.
2: Like, the song is, like, gonna haunt me on my deathbed in my last moments, because I've played <laughs> this game so much, and I just, like, I just can't, I can't even imagine playing that game now and, like, if it would be even good. Yeah. It's just such a weird game that existed. It's a weird space when, like, at first PlayStation, like, there was a lot of weird games for that console. Like, cause these Japanese games that were coming out before they, like, had more, like, quality control in terms of what they would let port over Yeah, <laughs> didn't make any sense in the U.S., like, like market. And then it's just funny because, like, there are so many people who haven't played that game, but then, like, when you, if you have played that game, you know it so well because, like, the song is just so catchy.
3: Yeah. Well, also, like, that generation of PlayStation... Like, I remember the first Squaresoft game was actually not an RPG. It was um, The Bouncer, which was, like, this weird beat 'em up game for the PlayStation. It was one of the launch titles. And I remember playing oh, it and just being like, what is this? These guys made Final Fantasy. What? What? What is this nonsense?
2: I'm trying to remember, like, I... Man, so much stuff. I mean, like, I had every... Squaresoft game I could get my hands on and then, like I remember playing you know Gears like, yeah.
0: and
2: stuck in a place where I didn't have enough money to refuel my mechs and I was just like, dying all the time. So I guess that was the first time I learned to keep a, to keep a rolling safe.
0: <laughs>
3: yeah. Uh,
2: and then like things like Parasite Eve that Squaresoft made, which was really weird, that shooter that mm-hmm. was also PG-ish. Yeah. But, but yeah, Private of the Rapid was like one of my favorite games, or one of my favorite memories, I don't know if it was even good, and I remember, like, finally learning how to actually play it, because, like, you you thought you just, like, hit the button once, and, like, it was, like, why, I was, like, why am I not getting any points, and you didn't realize it was, like, it wasn't a rapping game, it was, like, more like a, something like a DJ hitting, like, an air horn button game.
3: Yeah, pretty and much. You
2: just, you just have to hit it, like, in this weird rhythm to, like, max out your points, really how you rats, <laughs> like yeah I mean, well, it was
3: like predated all those other games like the rock bands and guitar heroes that came out way way later but it was the same concept of just like rhythm following the, but not, not even really the rhythm of the song just following this rhythm of button mashing you know
2: yeah like just trying to make it sound interesting like you're playing like you're playing like a keyboard or something and um there was also another game, too, that I played that was, like, a dance rhythm game where you, like, had, like, aliens and stuff, like capoeira aliens. <laughs> oh, man, I always, like, get them confused with Carp of the Rock because they had the same, like, kind of thing where, like, the button would scroll across the screen and you were supposed to hit it at certain rhythms. Sure. But So yeah, the Rock, yeah, I guiltily, I had the idea to make a song about that game for a while, so it's not like that. It's like when the rapathon comes around, I kind of just like empty out the uh, uh, the note, like the notepad of like checklist ideas that I'm just like, oh, one of these, one of these. Like I haven't written it yet, but like I definitely will be like, I mean to make a song about this, and so I just kind of like, go from there because like it's probably been there for like over like years, you know?
3: Sure. Well, what I like about those songs, especially from the rapathon, um, is that but by, by some weird coincidence they work really well as a mixed CD anyway like taking those songs and playing them one after the other they actually kind of work really good in this kind of like mixed co- sort of a way but I love some of the random ideas you get like someone suggested to make a daredevil song and you thought of making a Matt Murdock song instead and it's yes. a song about lawyers and that kind of twist you put on stuff um I mean also one of my favorites was your song about Gotham because you used a quote from the new show which me and my fiance are obsessed with
1: <laughs> um, which
3: was awesome, because also, like Bullock is the reason we watch the show, like Donald Logue is
2: yeah, you know i I've watched like i 'm not caught up, but i 've watched a bunch of them, and it 's a weird it 's weird like it 's a weird yeah. show, but it's it 's definitely much different than I thought it was going to be when I started watching it, sure um but yeah yeah it's like that 's the thing, right, like a lot of guys who make topical stuff um. And the the inspiration I draw from is uh, Jonathan Colton, who was like sure. a when I started making music. And he's talked about this in interviews, too. It's like most people, they say, like, there's like layers to it. So, like, first layer is like, I'm going to make a song about this. And that's like parody music, you know, like comedy music, very, like, kind of basic, like, play on something. And then they're like, I'm going to make a song about this, but then be, it's going to be serious and it's going to be like in the mind of a character or it's going to be like an emotion that it brings. And then there's a third layer that most people don't go to, which is like, you know, it's, it's like a twist. It's like, how, how do I make this not the most obvious idea? So that's something that I think Colton is really good at and something that I always strive to do because a lot of people don't ever make that third step to trying to figure out a different way to talk about it than what is the obvious thing in front of you. Let's like make a Batman song, um you make a song about Batman and what it's like you have in it, which is, I'm sure great, but like that's not interesting to what, to anybody because we know we already know like who he is. There's like thousands of comics about that. So you make a song about the city he's in or, like, another character that's not focused on as much. And I think that's when you start to feel like the subject is even bigger. And if you're a fan of it, you appreciate it because it's, like, you can fill in the blanks about, like, everybody else that's around that. So, like, you already know who else is going to be there. So, like, when you hear the song about, like, you know, a random character or somebody else, like, it's almost like your mind is working with the song to make, like, a full picture. And I think that's something that a lot of people who do topical stuff don't think about, is, like, this engagement that really works well with comics because comics is such a canonical universe. There's so much knowledge. There's so much stuff that you can do. So why, you know, like, it's, it's a really interactive experience if you want to make it like that, or you can just, like, be obvious and make it better which is, uh, you know, once in a while, okay. And necessary too. Sure. There's definitely something to be considered about. And I definitely make credit, give all the credit to Jonathan Colton, because I think I, I really like loved his music and I love what he did about it and how he would always twist it and make it something that you're not, you know, it's nerdy, but it's not, it's not actually about the nerdy thing. It's about something that's like peripheral to it, you know? Yeah. Um, so I always try to do that with the songs and, um, I think it works better than just kind of being like <laughs> making the bad da- bad dance by Prince. <laughs> Which
3: come on, I mean, no, no,
2: offense, no offense to Prince. Sure,
3: yeah. that's okay. I don't think Prince is going to listen to this podcast, so you don't have anything to worry about. Pretty, I'm con- pretty I don't confident.
2: watch <laughs> you, true. You, you he watches a new girl and you demanded to be a guest on it. So it's <laughs> like weird stuff too, or <laughs> normal, normal people stuff too. <laughs> um, uh,
3: another question I'd had mostly just because I'm a huge, huge venture brothers fan. You had James Urbaniak do your intro track for the middle of nowhere. Yeah. How did that connection happen?
2: Yeah. It's, uh, so I did a show with Michael Kupperman in Brooklyn Mm-hmm. where this during the time, Michael, if you don't know, Michael Kaufman is a comedy comics on house. Yep. And he does uh, Tales tales designed to frizzle, I think. Yeah. And, uh, he wrote the unauthorized autobiography of Mark Twain, which is this ridiculous book about like after Mark Twain's death, he faked his death and he became like an astronaut and a spy. And <laughs> it's hilarious. Um, he he got into my stuff because I just kind of been working with a lot of people that he knew, and he asked me if I would help him write a rap battle between Einstein and Mark Twain, <laughs> and perf- and perform it with him at his like monthly showcase. And I was and he was like, I want to rap it, and I was like, okay. And if you don't know who covered you know, he does not look like someone who's going to get on stage and just, like, start rapping. <laughs> like, <laughs> and uh, so we did it at this show, and I've done a couple shows with him now. He's a really good friend of mine, and um, James Arboniak was at that show. Oh, nice. And, and he's friends with Michael Carverman, and he came up to me. To me. I was talking to Michael like, well, at the end of the show, and he came up, and he's, like, wearing, that, wearing like, a faithful hat, yeah. and, like like, glasses, and just, like. He's just like, hey, you know, my name's James. I really like the show, and I was just like, I I know who you are, like <laughs> I know you really, the way, because like you know, you hear the voice, you know, yeah, it's, it's his voice, and I've seen so many panels and stuff about the Venture Brothers, that, sure. Like, I I like immediately know what he looks like, and so we started following each other on Twitter after that, and then I just had this idea where I just wanted like, for the last couple albums I had somebody do an intro. Like, last album was Baron Vaughn, who's a comedian. Yeah. And I just, I didn't know who else was to get to this album. And I just, I ended up talking to him a couple times on Twitter, and I just messaged him, and I was just like, I have this idea. I don't know if you'd be into it, but, like, I think you'd be perfect for it. And he was, like, all about it. Like, did it, you know, like, with a deadline, and did it, like, he really cared about it and, like, wrote it and was, like, workshopping it and gave me, like, a really good take and, like, really killed it. And he's always been so nice and so amazing about it that, like, it's just, like, so much proof that he's just a guy who just loves making stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, it wasn't like, oh, it'll cost you $2,000 or whatever. Um, he was just like, yeah, I'm I'm into this. And he's just been, he's, like, the nicest guy. And then I see him on, like... Asian Carter and like movies and I'm yeah. laughing and I'm just like that's like oh yeah that's really weird you know like and it's funny too because a lot of people who are fans of the Venture Brothers like non not hardcore fans of the Venture Brothers they don't know his name you yeah. know but like, you have to actually like really be like really into it to actually immediately recognize his name and so that to be like when I'm at the merch table be like do you watch the Venture Brothers like this is the guy who voices Doctor Venture, and they're like, oh, and it's it's sad because he's such a funny guy, and it's like you know he does so much stuff online. Like he makes those, he makes his Vine accounts and like his like blog and stuff.
0: Yeah,
3: and he does a Thrilling Adventure Hour.
2: Yeah, so more people should, should definitely follow this stuff. He's just a nice guy, and he's genuinely funny and a talented actor. So I'm I'm very thankful that he did it. it was, it's it's perfect too. He, I didn't give him any. I told him the the concept. Of the album and like when I wanted the intro to be, he wrote that whole thing. Like I wow. didn't at all like what it was supposed to be. Like supposed to be a guy who's working or whatever. I was just like, think about what it feels like to be like nowhere in your life and just like write. What does that mean? And then he wrote that.
3: Yeah, and it's really powerful too. Like just listening to the the, the monologue and and a little bit of background music. It's just it's really powerful. And it's, it's a shame that a lot of people don't know voice actors by name or even, you know, he's a regular actor as well. But like, I'm a voice actor nerd because I grew up watching so much anime and cartoons. Yeah. That like, I need to know everyone's name. Like Stephen Bloom, who's done uh, Spike Spiegel from Cowboy Bebop. And, and he's pretty much been featured in every other anime. Like, I'll know his voice and his name and what he looks like. Whereas a lot, and I'll see him at a con and like say hi. And my friends will be like, who who was that? I don't I don't know. it's I feel like James Romaniac probably gets the same thing. Like people would know his voice, but they don't really know his name, so
2: they still have like this? the the Futurama guys are like my favorite. Like,
3: oh, Billy West to Joe DiMaggio.
2: Yeah. I would oh, freak man. out if I got to like meet any of them. So
3: Well, you know, Billy West is actually a very talented musician, so you could reach out to him and be like, Hey, you want to play on my record? <laughs>
2: Yeah, I he's definitely somebody... I know him in, like... Uh, has he done stuff with the sure, Or I know DiMaggio has.
3: Yes, I think so. I know, yeah. Joe DiMaggio has um, Captain Laserbeam. Is his one of his characters yeah. on there. Yeah. I mean, those those are two guys also, the two of them, that whenever I hear... I see them on any podcast, it doesn't matter whose podcast it is, I will listen to it, because they destroy me every time. Just the, the shit that they say and yeah, how awful off the wall they are. It's just... It's, they're hilarious, but Futurama is probably one of my favorite shows of the last couple of decades. And did you see the did you see the season finale of Futurama?
2: No, I, I'm actually behind on the new episodes just because I during the time when it came back, I didn't have like TV. I was <laughs> <laughs> traveling so much, so like I feel like I hold on to those first four season DVDs as like you know. Like their goals because I sure. uh, the commissaries on them are like some of the favorite things in the world too. Where like yeah. the voice is just going crazy, um, but I haven't, I haven't caught up with it. I, I've been meaning to. Hopefully, I will soon.
3: I definitely recommend it just because the series finale is the is almost perfect to me. I think they did a great job, and it's it's a good show that has heart even when you least expect it. So, it's yeah. uh it's definitely worth catching up on, and I think it's all on Netflix now. So if you have Netflix,
2: no nice. Yeah. Definitely
3: worth catching up on. Um, so I know you just put out, obviously, we talked about earlier this new record, uh, Gifted Student. Um, do you have plans to go on, out on tour again? I know I thought I saw something about you and Michael Kill going out on tour together soon.
2: Yeah, in the, I think late February through early March, Kill and I will be on tour for a week. We're going to be basically going to... We're gonna to go to like Chicago and Milwaukee and Omaha and places just like along the Midwest and the Northeast kind of stuff. So you should check that out at adamwarock.com or michaelkill.com. Um, we we're doing a kind of a mixture of like I I'm like a con in there, like a comics, comic store and venues and things like that, it's like game lounge. It's weird, you know, we've done this so long that like, we've actually built up this network of a lot of comic stores or gaming lounges or, like, weird, just weird places to do shows that actually go really well because a lot of our fans and a lot of people who listen to us, they don't like going to venues cause, Yeah. And I because I don't like going to venues. <laughs> like, I think venues, like, there's nowhere to sit and, like, it's dirty and, like, it's expensive and there's nowhere to park. It's usually hard to park around it. It's usually, like you know, weird area, and, like, if you go to, like, your, we do a show at, like, your local comic store, or, like, a, a, like, a cafe or a barcade that's, like, very, you know, like, well-attended like nerds. It helps people come out because they're more comfortable. We, we, we always try to make it all ages. We always try to make it a place that's comfortable, and that's not, like, gonna make people upset to go to, because, like, you know, we, we are the same way, you know, like, we have anxiety. We have, (laughs) there's social anxiety, and, like, it's very, like, we like, I totally get it because it's, like, very daunting to go to a place, you know, a venue, you never been, don't know how to get around, don't know, like, stuff like that. So a lot of the venues we go to, they're a little weirder, but they're probably more comfortable for, like, a lot of nerds to come out to.
3: That's awesome. Well, if you ever find yourself back in Brooklyn, there's a bar that I would recommend if you've not been to it. A friend of mine owns it. It's called The Way Station, and they have a TARDIS bathroom. The, the bathroom oh, wow. is a TARDIS. Oh, good. Where, you, where is it? So, it's in Brooklyn. It's on Washington Avenue. It's um, not too far from the Q train. Um, it's not too far from Flatbush. It's actually, so I know you've played okay. the the State before, which is on Fifth Avenue. It's only about yeah. five minutes from the
0: Fifth Estate. Okay,
2: okay, yeah. I, I'm, I'm not as familiar with deeper into Brooklyn because I have friends that live in, like, Park Slope and uh, uh, Brooklyn Heights. Then, so
3: it's actually not too far from Park Slope. Um okay. and it's called the Way Station. Definitely check it out. And the next time you're okay. planning on t- hitting the, the east coast, um I'm I'm friends with the owner, I'm friends with the promoters there. Like, you know, it's it's a it's a great venue and um they've had some really good rap acts roll through and uh, you guys would go over like because Yeah. It's a Doctor Who bar. So yeah,
2: Brooklyn is always very kind to us, so um, and I know that we've, we really needed to get back out there and do a show with Shaper who we haven't seen in a little bit. So definitely, I'll definitely let you know.
3: Cool. Excellent. Um, yeah. And I mean, after hearing your Dr. Heapy, I was like, if he doesn't know about the Way station, he needs to know now. <laughs> um, but yeah, they've got a Lifestyle TARDIS in it. Um, Stephen Moffat's been there before for the, the last Matt Smith, uh, the Matt Smith finale episode he and Matt Smith stopped by there and, and viewed it randomly with all the fans who were in attendance. It was pretty awesome.
2: Oh, wow. That's crazy.
3: Yeah, it was nuts. I remember getting... I was coming back from Jersey somewhere. Uh, my fiance's in a band who was playing a gig, and I got a text from someone saying, uh, Matt Smith is in the bar. Get here now. And we detoured straight there to watch the finale. What, it,
2: what does that... Does that make it... Because, like, I'm trying to think. If you're a huge fan of Doctor Who and you're in a place to watch the, finale, the Matt Smith finale. Yeah. And Stephen Moffat and Matt Smith walk in the bar and are just sitting in there while the finale is happening. Is that, does that ruin the finale for you because you're just like so distracted? Or do you not even care that Matt Smith and Stephen Moffat are in there because you're so invested in knowing what happens in the finale? It's like a really interesting psychological map to like chart out.
3: Yeah. Well, I mean it was it was cool they were pretty chill about it. Like Moffat was literally just wa- looking for somewhere in New York to watch it cuz he was in town and someone recommended the Way Station and like he turned up they everyone watched it. They hung out. Nobody like really crowded them. And then at the end, Moffat had a little speech, and like peop- then they started signing autographs a bit and, pe- and saying hi to people. And it, it was pretty chill. Like it wasn't as overwhelming. I mean, I imagine for them it was still kind of overwhelming because they were surrounded by people. But it wasn't like people weren't going nuts. You know? Yeah. They were still kind of well mannered because you're also you're in a room full of nerds watching Doctor Who. Like nobody wants to be that guy who's like, Yo, bro, let me get your signature, what's up? Like nobody's yeah. that guy. So Yeah. But um so, uh the um Gifted Student just came out, tour coming up. Um, what's next for Adam Warrock as far as music goes? Do you have anything else you're working on? Any any uh nerdy fandom related stuff, EPs in the works?
2: I don't know. You know, it's it's a weird place for, for a culture right now. There's not a lot of stuff that's like grabbing the public zeitgeist like yeah. it, like it was before. Like it's it's splintered off in like a lot of smaller fandoms now. I don't know what's gonna come up. Uh, I'm just gonna keep making music. In uh, June at adamwarock.com, there will be a donation drive, which basically will um, help keep the site running. Every year I do it, and people donate whatever they want. Everybody who donates gets a reward. And during that whole week, um, I just keep releasing all this free music. And then um, I'm gonna start working on my next album. Um, probably have some kind of fall tour, but the next album is hopefully gonna be out early 2015. 20 wait, what year is this?
3: We're in 2015.
2: So early 2016, probably in like a year. But um, maybe maybe this winter. I don't know yet. I've actually started talking to producers about it and have some ideas. But me and Kill just finished the C.P. We're just focused on that. We're just we're just happy that this is done.
3: Well, that's awesome. And it, it's so cool to see. Two people who uh, whose music I know so well to work together. Because, you know, I mean, I talked to when I talk to Kill on the podcast, he talks about how he loves doing music. But production is where his, you know, his heart truly is. He loves producing and he draws a lot of inspiration for that. So to hear what it sounds like when you guys work together. Because, I mean, I've heard the Browncoats mixtape, which I love. Yeah. And, and you know, but that was a while ago that that came out. So it was so cool. To ch- that. It four was four years ago. Wow. Four years ago already. That's crazy. Um, it was so cool to hear you guys work together on that. And that was one of the things that kind of sparked me getting into Michael Kill. Um, but now to hear this kind of, you know, this, this full release EP on, on your band camp that you guys work together, is just really cool, really cool to hear and see. And one's got to love the old school photo of Adam Warrock sitting down in front of an old school console. Um, <laughs> Yeah. yeah.
2: And if you get, if you get the CD, the, the physical CD on the inside is like a, it's like a before and a, it's like a past present.
3: Oh, like awesome. A like a, a photo of you in the present in the same way. Oh, that's yeah. great. That's amazing. So,
2: um, that, I found that picture when I went home and visited my mom and saw it and I was like, oh, this is going to be that cover to my next album. Like, I was like, I'm not joking. Like, I want this <laughs> cover of my next album. So I took it from her. And uh, I'm glad people are enjoying it. It's hilarious. It's me. It's me when I'm two years old.
3: Wow. Long time ago. And so um, were you Were you actually playing that video game console at the time or you just kind of? Oh, yeah.
2: Around? No, I was like, I played like Atari from like when I was tiny. So like I definitely, That thing's just very representative of me playing like probably Frogger or something like that.
3: Very, very cool. Um, what, um, what video games are you super into right now? Obviously, I know you're playing some stuff. Um, is there something <laughs> that really is holding your focus at the moment?
2: I'm playing, um, I have a Vita, I play a lot of, like, unique games on it. So, like, Good Trip Runner 2 and, like, Splunky, I always play.
3: Oh, nice. Every day.
2: That's awesome. I'm obsessed with it. And then, um, I've been playing Dragon Age Inquisition on the PS4. Um, and just basically uh, pissing off all my friends because I play a Bioware game where, like, I don't do a remission, I don't get all the treasure, and I just, like, kind of (laughs) play it in the way that I feel like it. (laughs) I just keep on saying how I believe I'm God in the game, and, like, (laughs) should kneel to me and, like... It's so like it's so funny to watch my friends who are like the way they play. They're so like they play it very paragon or they play it very like completist, and I'm just like, who cares? <laughs> uh,
0: Excellent. But I've
2: been really into that. I probably have like 12 hours on a, on a Game in Dragon Age, and I'm no obviously nowhere close to finishing it. Sure. And, and then you know when everybody comes over, we play the Smash Brothers Wii U. Nice. With eight people or whatever, and I am enjoying that and and having a good time. And other than that, I don't know. I don't even know what else is even coming out. I'm so behind in video games. I'm not the stuff like my my girlfriend is more into video games than I am. And I she just she'll be like, "This is coming out. I want to get it." I'm like, "I don't even know what that is." And then I'm like, "This is awesome." So <laughs> I, I've fallen out of following it because I only have so much headspace to. Read about it, and now games come out that I'm like, I don't even know what that is. So yeah, get old.
3: Yeah. Well, oh, I, once I started curing my website and started a second podcast, it's like, oh, so I have a day job and a night job that I'm working on and um, yeah. oh, all of these games came out. What? I mean, I also don't have any of the new consoles. I'm still the last generation. Like I only finished Bioshock infinite last year. So like I'm oh, still, man, yeah. I'm still way behind on stuff and I'm enjoying kind of just catching up slowly. I think the game that's going to really make me probably buy the next gen console. And thankfully got pushed back is the new Batman. Cause I love those Batman games. Is, yeah, the, yeah. Is, is Arkham Knight, um, but until then, I'm kind of just hold out, hold down the fort with the older stuff, and kind of.
2: Yeah, the, the newer consoles, like I, um, I had a 360, and I played, I played the crap out of it. Like I played like every game for it, that, like every major thing that came out. But like ever since the new consoles have come out, I think it's because when they first were released, there wasn't a lot of games for them.
3: Yeah, a lot of people are just kind of like, so, oh, what do we do now? You know, like there's not. So yeah,
2: games. I stopped paying attention and then now there's like all of a sudden all these games get out know, that people want to play and I am so behind because like I didn't even play, I haven't played Far Cry 4. Or me
3: me neither. I haven't even played Far Cry 3 yet.
2: Yeah, if you're catching up that's so you should get that next because that game is amazing. I love that game.
3: I actually have it on Steam. It went on sale. That and Blood Dragon went on sale for like five bucks. And I was like well, Steam, you got me again. Click. And so I'll it's eventually awesome. play it. But yeah.
2: It's shockingly like because, like, when the story starts and, like, you play so many games where the story is kind of, like, the same way, you think it's going to be, like, this boring kind of shoot 'em up game. And it's, like, it becomes this, like, really involving game where, like, it's really enjoyable to, like, run in and figure out these, like, little puzzles about how to, like, throw the security switches in places. It's awesome. Like, I, cool. I was really impressed by it. And, like, I love Far Cry 3 way more than I love Saints Row 4. <laughs> same time. And I know that's like, I know people love Saints Row 4, but I was like not that much into it. So I don't know, they were out around the same time. So I, I always have that comparison in my head Or like, screw Far Cry 3, you don't play Saints Row like, 4. is so much better. But um, so yeah, that's pretty much what I'm playing.
3: Cool. Sorry. Yeah, I, I made the mistake of mentioning um, Smash Brothers to Tribe 1 um and he went on a tirade about how he hates that game and when it came out when it first came out his friends never let him to get good at it and so now he's a bitter game player and he doesn't want to play smash brothers he's like he'll play Chad it, when Wann, at
2: it. Chad does not like when he's bad at something <laughs> <laughs> So and,
0: <laughs>
2: and he wants to not have to feel the feeling of getting crushed and annihilated at things uh which I guess is, is understandable because <laughs> no, that's a human emotion to feel, but um, I think he finally broke down and bought it. So. Oh, did he? Oh, awesome. Yeah. And it's like, you know, Smash... I never was into Smash Bros. I never had like a Nintendo 64 or a GameCube or... A, no, I had a Wii for like a little bit, but I never had those original consoles um, and you start to learn Smash Brothers is not about being good. It's just about like getting that, you know, if you start losing, you just try to screw over people who are already really weak. You just like, become this horrible sniper where like there's pleasure to be had in it, even if you're not good.
3: I, I agree wholeheartedly. My favorite thing to do is if I have one more life than somebody else who's about to die as Bowser, I'll just do his grab move and fly oh, off you the table. just off. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's the best because nothing is more pleasurable than that anger that your friend has, um, as you've just screwed them over. So they lost also, you know,
2: there's nothing you can do. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
3: well, Adam, thank you for taking the time to chat. I'm really glad that we got to, um, I'm such a huge fan of your work. You do great stuff and I'll always look forward to the, the, the more stuff you put out. Um, I hope to hear from you when you come to Brooklyn next. And uh, in closing, is there anything you want to say to your fans, stuff you want to promote, obviously besides the EP, which you've talked about, uh, or any parting words for, for people listening to this?
2: I mean, check out the EP, com and um, whether it's me or anyone else that you listen to podcasts, websites, things like that, um, if you can, you should support the art that you really like because we're in a weird we're in a weird time where like a lot of it's free and a lot of people do it out of love their heart. And so if you can help somebody kind of like get to the next level or keep doing it, then you know, just do that because I definitely have my share of like podcasts and websites and Kickstarters and other artists that I support. I think it's kind of part of like the market about being like a fan nowadays, like understanding that things need support to stay around I, you know, we've all loved the TV show that got canceled, probably. Yeah. Um, so just show your support that way. And, and thank you for listening.
3: Awesome. Thank you so much, Adam. This will probably be out um towards the end of February, cause it's the biweekly show. And I've got a couple of episodes banked. But um, as soon as it comes out, I'll shoot an email your way with the link and on book. And I thank you for taking the yeah. time to chat. This has been a pleasure. Yeah, man.
2: thank you. Thank you so much, man. Let me know when it's out and let me know if you have any more questions. Okay. Awesome. I will.
1: Thanks, man. Take care.
2: All right. You too. Bye.
1: If you enjoyed these interviews, please subscribe to this and the Crash Chords podcast on iTunes, where you can also rate us and review us. You can also like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Crash Chords Web, our Tumblr, and our YouTube channel. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to post in the comment area below each post. And keep the discussion going, because remember, music is life, and life is good.